Good morning, Harvest. Happy New Year. You guys all have a, have a good new year. You all look like you're tired, like we're still kind of in this like end of the year holiday malaise. Um, I was hanging out with some friends a couple nights ago and they said, yeah, the new year doesn't really begin till the kids are back in school. Are any of us feeling that right now? Um, I'm feeling that. I'm looking forward to having uh, Monday and kind of get back to the normal routine. Do me a favor. If you have your Bibles, open them up to John 15. We're going to be in John 15 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. We have people coming down the aisles right now who'd love to get a copy of God's Word into your hands. We're going to be in John 15 uh, this morning. And actually, uh, this morning is going to feel a little bit different. We're doing a little bit of a vision type of Sunday. So we're actually going to be jumping around way more than usual. If you guys have been here for a while, you know that we usually like to park in one text and read it and talk about it and apply it to our lives. And we're going to get to John 15, but we're going to be bouncing around kind of all over the place before we get there. And so as we enter into 2020, here's a question for you. Have any of you guys seen on Facebook or on social media this 10-year challenge that has been going around where it's like, hey, here's a picture of me from 10 years ago, and here's a picture of me now. Look how much has changed. I find the whole thing really depressing, right? We just all look older, right? That, that's kind of the purpose of this thing is, is, man, I used to be younger and happier and more full of energy. Now I'm older and more tired, or um, at least that's how I feel. I remember 10 years ago... Um, Man, my life has changed so much in the last 10 years. 10 years ago, my wife and I had been married a year and a half. We were living in Orlando. And here's the thing about being 23 is you feel like you've got the whole world figured out. And 10 years ago, it's like, man, we've got this figured out. We, had, we get marriage. We've been married like, you know, 20 months. We've, been, we've got it nailed. We've got it perfect. And we, let's just roll this thing out. Let's keep going. And you realize, man, we were clueless of pretty much everything at 23 when you get to 33. And I wonder if I'll say that at 43. But in the past 10 years, you know, 10 years ago, we had no kids. Now we have four. Um, I would say I could make an argument that if you could define our decade in one word, that word would be diapers for Mary and I, right? We have um, changed many a diaper and actually our youngest Judah on New Year's Eve just turned five. So we're kind of out of this stage of babies and into a new stage, which I'm sure will bring fresh challenges and fears and joy. Um, But here's what I would say. When I think of the past decade, the last 10 years, it's impossible for me to separate those 10 years from this church. And here's why, because it was 10 years ago exactly that my dad was having the first conversations with Mary and myself and Pastor Chris and his wife Carolyn about potentially coming back to West Michigan and plant a church. It was in the late fall of 2009, winter of 2010, where we started really praying about this and thinking about it and pursuing it. And it was really 10 years ago was when we were wrestling with this idea right now. And if you were to ask me, Cal, how were you feeling about planting harvest 10 years ago? If I were honest, I would tell you it was terrifying. Um, the, I, I was terrified about coming back to West Michigan. Ma- Mary and I, we had a good life in Orlando. I had a good ministry job and the idea of coming home was near and dear to our hearts. But here's the thing, when we were telling people that we were praying about planting a church, what people would say to us is, listen, Cal, the last thing West Michigan needs is another church. It's like, thanks, that's super encouraging. I appreciate your wisdom there. And we were reading statistics, like 80% to 90% of church plants die within the first year. That every year there are hundreds, if not thousands of churches planted in America, the vast majority of them flame out within a year. And um, 
I remember in the summer of 2010, we had 40 people meeting in my folks' living room and we were just praying, God, would you do a new work and would you move? And we don't really know what we're doing. My dad had never pastored before. Chris and I were just pretty much out of Bible school a couple years. We were new, we didn't know what we were doing. And obviously God has exceedingly been good and done abundantly more than what we could ever dream. And not just in this church, but in North Muskegon and in Fremont and the relationships that he has given us and the partnerships we have in ministry. And one of my greatest joys is even as I look out this morning, there's so many people who 10 years ago, I didn't know you, and now we're good friends, and I think of the Carries and the Flickamas, and so many people that 10 years ago, we didn't know each other, and it seems like we've just grown up together in some ways and have done so much life together, and there's just been so much joy around these last 10 years. So what I've been thinking about this holiday season as we enter a new decade in our 10th year of ministry as a church is, what were the things that we were passionate about at first? Like 10 years ago when we planted a church, what were the things that were like, man, we wanna be about this and these are the things that we can't stray from or can't drift from and I've been asking myself the question, are we still excited about those things? Because I believe that the Lord has blessed what we put our hands to and the last thing that I would ever wanna see is for our church to lose God's blessing because we've drifted away from what we've been called to. And so here's the nice thing. Did you know that 10 years ago when we started our church, we kind of wrote down what we were going to be all about? Did you know that we have a mission statement at, at our church? Do any, do any of you know the mission statement at Harvest? Wow, none of us. Good. We're off to a good start. Um, don't feel bad. I asked my staff this same question on Friday and nobody raised their hands. All right. It's actually in the lobby. You walked by it on your way into the room. Here's what uh, the mission statement is. It's this. It's our mission is to glorify God in making disciples through gospel-centered worship, gospel-centered teaching, gospel-centered community, and gospel-centered multiplication. Long enough for you? It's like, yeah, no wonder I don't remember that. It's like a million words, right? But that was our mission statement. We wanted to be about the gospel. We wanted to be about worship, teaching, community, and multiplication. Um, do any of you know what our four pillars are? The four kind of pillars of our ministry. Okay, none of you do. Good. We're off to a great start. Last night at the five o'clock, only Pastor Chris raised his hand. I'm like, that's cheating. It doesn't count. You were part of making it. Here's our four pillars. Here, here's what kind of the four cornerstones of our church. It was this, lifting high the name of Jesus in worship, proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology, believing firmly in the power of prayer, and boldly sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's the good news. As I look at these things, um, we are just as passionate about these things as we've ever been. We're not changing, we're not moving. We believe that God has blessed us as we pursued these things as a church and these aren't old, these aren't stale. We are fired up about these same things. But here's the problem. A mission statement and four pillars aren't very helpful if nobody in the church remembers them or knows what they are. So what we've been doing is, is we've been working as a church. Is there a way to kind of condense these things into a nice, simple statement that we can know together, that we can say together, that can become part of our lingo so that when people hear that you go to harvest and they say, hey, what's your church all about? You can say, well, these are the things we're after in a way that's concise and that you can hold on to and remember. So we worked on kind of coming up with a defining statement. we boiled all of this down to six words. Here's what it is. It's we as a church, we wanna be a church that lifts up, that holds high, and loves well. 
that we as a church, the things that we're going after, the things that we're moving towards is we lift up, and that means we lift up the name of Jesus Christ in worship. We hold high God's word as our ultimate authority, and we seek to love one another well along with the people outside of the family of God. We want to be known for our worship, for the fact that we hold high God's word, and we want to be a church that loves well. So what I want to do this morning is I just want to take some time and break down each of the three parts of this statement, show it to you in God's word, and show what this looks like and how this plays out in our church. So the first part is lift up, and the reason that we as a church lift up is because we are worshipers. And what I love about this statement is each of these three things have to do with our identity, not just as a church, but as people. And the reason we lift high the name of Jesus Christ in worship is because we were created to be, worship, to be worshipers. At Harvest, we care a lot about the time where we worship the Lord together. We believe Psalm 22.3 that says that God is enthroned upon the praises of his people. Or other translations say that he inhabits the praise of his people. That when we come together and when we sing songs and lift high the name of Jesus, there is something eternal and spiritual and supernatural that's happening here that you can't get on your own in your car when you're blaring the radio music. There's something special about when God's people gathers in God's house to worship God's son. You can't replicate it anywhere else. So here's the question. Why do we lift up? The first reason is it's because we were created to. We were created to worship. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7 says this. God says, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, who I formed and made. See what Isaiah is saying here is why were we created? Why do we exist? To glorify our creator, God Psalm 150, I love this psalm. If you're looking for a psalm to memorize this year, this would be a, a good candidate. It says this. It says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with a trumpet sound. Praise him with a lute and harp. Praise him with a tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Don't you love that? Like, listen, we are called to praise God because he is worthy and he's created us and he's great that our worship is supposed to be enthusiastic and loud and that everything that has breath is called to praise the Lord. And listen, if I wanted to right now, I could spend the next hour going through 50 plus passages where the Bible talks specifically of how we are supposed to worship. I could talk about the Bible calling us to raise our hands to the Lord and surrender. I could talk about how the Bible says for us to fall on our knees in worship and adoration, about how our worship should be filled with tears and with praise, and it should be loud and it should be energetic. But if I could boil all of that down because I don't have the time, here's what I want to see in our worship for this next 10 years. It's this. Our worship has to be engaged and it has to be passionate that when we come together, that we need to give ourselves to worshiping the name of the Lord. Like, listen, here's what I would say. If at the end of our time singing and praising together, if you're not like a little bit like, wow, I'm kind of tired and out of breath, you're probably doing it wrong. That it's something that should be active in and we should be participating in. And here's why. 
Because when we worship God, what we're doing is, is we're coming together and we're communicating to God how much he means to us. So if during the worship, if my arms are crossed and I'm not singing and I'm just standing there, aren't I communicating something to God about how much I care about him and how much I love him? If my worship is stale, I believe it dishonors the Lord, right? And I know that some of you have some questions or some what ifs, and I want to answer those right now. Like, here's a question. What if, what if I'm not an emotional person? Like, like Cal, like my like highs and lows are like this far apart. I'm just a very, very calm, collected dude. That's amazing. That's how God created you. All I'm asking is, is I'm not asking you to be someone you're not. Just whatever your 10 out of 10 is, give that to him as an offering of worship. Worship him with how he's wired you, with how he's created you. Um, Cal, what if I have a really bad singing voice? Um, so do most of the people around you. It's okay. Right? We can praise the Lord with what he's given us. We're not going to get to heaven and God be like, man, I was so embarrassed when you sang songs to me. Your voice was terrible, right? Like, that's not happening. I promise God's cool with it. Here's a question. What if I just don't like the song or the style of music? What if it's not my style? Well, can I just lovingly say, get over yourself? It's not about you. It never was meant to be about you. Listen, there's some songs that we sing at church that I like more than other songs that we sing. We all have preferences, that's okay, it's not about our preference, it's about the name of the one who we're worshiping and he deserves our best all the time, amen? Here's a question, what if I'm just tired and exhausted and I've had a really bad week and I don't feel like I have anything in the tank? Have any of you come to church like that before or is it just me? Like we can be honest. Hey, isn't that the perfect moment for us to lean in and say, Lord, I need you? And God, I've got nothing, but I believe that you are the author and you have the keys to life and I'm gonna trust you even in the middle of this storm in this difficult circumstance and you've called me to in faith step out and say that you are good and you are worthy. Like even the songs we sang this morning, God, I'm not enough unless you come. But not for a minute have you ever forsaken me. Sometimes worship is us stepping out in faith and saying, God, I believe this to be true even though I don't feel it right now. That's the exact moment when we need to press in to worship. Second reason we lift up is because Jesus is worthy of our worship. In Revelation 5, we get a picture into heaven at the return of Christ, and this is what it says. It says, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. So you get this scene in heaven where they're saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain, that the one who is worthy to receive all honor and glory and power and blessing is Jesus Christ. And every creature falls down and worships Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is the only one who defeated sin and death. He was the only one who lived a perfect life. He was the only one who came and died in yours and in my place to take the penalty of death that we deserved and give us the life that we forfeited. Listen, all of us are worshipers. We all worship something. 
Some of us worship ourselves, some of us worship our strength, some of us worship someone else, someone worships a job, someone worships a family, like we're all worshipers. But when we gather together to lift high the name of Jesus Christ, we're worshiping the best possible thing. The reason you and I have breath is so that we can give honor and glory to Jesus Christ. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And then here's the third reason, and this one's so important, it's this, worship reframes our hearts. Worship reframes our hearts. In Hebrews 12, one through three, it says this, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, look at this, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And the reason why I chose this passage is I love this line, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Don't you know what that feels like? Like it's 2020, it's a new year. I, I wanna re-engage in some things with the Lord and I wanna grow, but it feels like there's this weight and there's this sin that even when I pursue the Lord, it always clings so closely to me. And um, if you're like me, you'll know that this is true. You know what my biggest problem in life is? It's that I'm stuck with myself all of the time. Like I'm always around myself. I can't get away from me, right? Nobody talks to me more than I do. My voice is always going off in my head. And here's why that's a problem. It's because my natural disposition and inclination is to want to be consumed with myself. And I've got my schedule, I've got my work, I've got my family, I've got my problems, I've got my social life. Like it's so easy for me just to be consumed with me. But guess what? When we gather together to worship, guess what we're doing? We're saying, no, no, no. I'm not the center of the universe. Actually, it's Jesus Christ. And what we're doing is, is we are confessing, God, it is all about you. You are the one who's good. You're the one who saves. You're the one who's powerful. You're the one at the center of everything. It's not us. So listen, that's why we need to have the discipline to come together once a week and to say, hey, I need to claim that these things are true because if I don't, I'm gonna get wrapped up in my own universe again. Right, and most of us, we need to have small group on Wednesday night because by day two, we're already there again, right? It's a constant battle that we face. Who is worthy of our worship? Who are we dedicating our lives to? We lift up the name of Jesus Christ because he's worthy, because we were created to, and because it reframes our hearts. Check out this video. My family and I came to Harvest um, on Memorial Day weekend of 2012. We were, didn't even make it out the door before we said we just love it here. And part of the thing that really had an impact on us was, was the worship. Um, we'd been to a church pretty much our whole lives where um, worship was kind of a prelude or an appetizer to what we were really there for, to hear God's word. But here at Harvest, um, we worship and it is part of the main thing. Um, and it's long, and it's sweet, and it's, um, you're free to express yourself in worship, which is such a beautiful thing, right? And I had never experienced 
worship like that in, in church before. Um, maybe in my car with the radio blasting, you know, for, on a long car ride, but, um, but not in church. We've had times where our pastors have been like, we are done with the worship set, and the pastor will say, well, let's just all pack up and go home, right? Because that's how, that's what it's like to worship God with, um, with really just freedom and, um, and, and truth, and it's a, it's a gift. Um, and it's unique, I think, to Harvest. It's unique to the way that we worship here. God used the lyrics and the music, the song, to just change my life, really, to show me that it, we were actually singing, um, Christ is enough for me. And I had to surrender something that was really hard for me to surrender. And I had to see that God is really enough. There's just something about the body of Christ, together, worshiping, um, lifting high the name of Jesus. You know, we're not singing to God because he doesn't know who he is. He, he knows who he is. We're singing to God back the truths of his word so that we remember who he is and what he's done. And when we know who he is, we figure out who we are and uh, a people saved by the blood of Christ. Isn't it amazing how Jody can say in two minutes what it took me 10 to say? Don't you love that? But uh, what an awesome testimony of this is what we want to be. We need to be a church that lifts up. And uh, the second thing that we need to do is we need to be a church that holds high. And when I say that, it means we hold high. God's word is our ultimate authority. And uh, you need to understand this is where the rub between being a Christian and our culture is always going to happen. This is where the rubber is really going to meet the road is who is the ultimate authority in your life? Is it yourself or is it the word of God? So why do we hold high? The first reason is because it is the ultimate source of truth. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Isaiah 48 says, the grass wither and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And this idea of God's word being the ultimate authority, it has everything to do with your worldview. How do you view life on this earth? Who gets to determine what is right or wrong? What is true and what is a lie? What is good and what is evil? Is it us? Is it our emotions? Is it our feelings? Or is it the word of God? Who gets to be the authority? Who gets to be the judge? Ultimately, you're going to have to decide are you the authority that speaks in and looks down on God's word and determines what's right and wrong? Or do we allow God's word to be the authority and judge over us that looks into our heart and tells us what's right and wrong and what needs to change and what needs to be repented of? And by the way, you need to understand that our culture in 2020 in the United States, they've made their decision and they've chosen that we humans are the highest authority. And the philosophy of our culture, if I could boil it down to one word in 2020, it's this, it's relativism. This is the philosophy, this is the worldview that our culture holds. And what is relativism? Well, here's the definition, it's this. It's the doctrine that knowledge, truth, and morality exist in relation to culture, society, or historical context. And look at this and are not absolute, all right? So this is what our culture would say is that, listen, there's no such thing as absolute truth. 
That, that truth is to, determined by the time in history, by how you feel, by what's going on in the world. And then you probably have heard this, that what's true for me might not be what's true for you. And this is kind of a hot button phrase that's boiled up in our cultures that I have my truth and you have your truth. And what we're not supposed to do is figure out what's actually true. We just need to respect one another's truths. And as long as my truth doesn't impede on your truth, I should be allowed to do whatever I want. You should do whatever you want. And the way we get along is we just have our own truths and we do what we want. And listen, I get that people have different preferences, right? Some of you in here, you like country music and your preference is that country music is really, really good. Others of us in here are normal, right? And we're like, country music is terrible. That's our truth. And listen, so I get that we can have different preferences when it comes to movies or art or, you know, interests, hobbies, activities. We can have preferences, But what you need to understand is is what culture has done is they've said everything's a preference. There's nothing that's absolute. And they apply this to God's word. So they would say, yeah, the Bible, it might be your truth, but it's not absolute truth. And they would actually say for, for us to say that the Bible is the ultimate source of truth, that that's a hateful thing to do and that's judgmental and you're oppressing people because you're not allowing them to live out their truths. That this is an issue that we're gonna face in the next 10 years in our culture. The problem with relativism is it just doesn't hold up with reality. And the reality is, is there are such things as actual and objective truth. And let me prove it to you, right? If you're driving home from church this morning, and let's say you're going 75 in a 55, and you get pulled over, and the cop goes, do you know how fast you were going? And you're like, well, I was going 75. And he's like, yeah, the speed limit's 55. Okay, how's it going to go for you when you tell the cop, well, that's your truth, but it's not my truth? Right? My truth is that the speed limit's 75, and we just have different truths, so we should just get along. Right? It doesn't work. Society exists on moral absolutes. And to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it's to say, it's to confess that, God, your word is the ultimate source of life and truth, and it is our highest authority. It's what we hold to, it's what we believe, what what God's word says about us and sin and life and death and Jesus being the only way to salvation, it's just as true today as it was when it was written. That God's word is not up for critique, that it's not up to be changed, that we're not the ones that, that oppress God's word by with what we believe, but that God's word stands over us as our ultimate authority. That the way we grow and thrive in our relationship with God is to know and submit our lives to his word through the power of his spirit. All right, our culture would say, man, you know what? Yeah, I know you got married and I know that you two made some promises to each other, but you don't need to keep those because the truth is, is that you've grown apart and that you're different people now and that you've changed and you deserve to be happy and you go this way and you go that way and, and just live out what makes you feel good and what's true. Where Christians would say, no, 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 we've made promises to each other. We've made promises before the Lord and we're going to honor the Lord because we want to lift him high in everything that we do. What's going to be the source of authority in your life? 
Right, so this is how it plays out in our church is that every week when we come together, guess what we do? We open God's word and the pastors that preach, we work really, really hard to, to apply it to our lives. So this is what it says. This is what it means. This is how you and I can submit ourselves to it and live it out. It's very simple. That's what we do every week when we gather together. What does the Bible say and how can we submit our lives to that? The second reason we hold high God's word is because Jesus demands it because Jesus himself demands it. Look at John 15, verse seven. Hopefully if your Bible's open there now. John 15, verse seven, here's what Jesus says. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Look at verse nine. And as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. See what Jesus is doing there? He is linking, he's tying together this idea of loving him and keeping his commandments. He's saying you can't separate loving me and following me. The reason that we hold high God's word is because we, our identity, is we're followers of Jesus. And for us to love Jesus, it's more than just this thankfulness feeling or this emotional type of love. Like, you're great and you're amazing and I love you. It's that, but there's also more. To love Jesus is to say, hey, Jesus, I'm allowing you access into every area of my life and I'm submitting to you as Lord over those things. And here's the amazing thing. God's word speaks into every area of our life. It has no problem doing that. And here's the truth. There's a lot of times that God's word would call us to run in a way that's contrary to how we would prefer to operate our lives, right? That we've still got this sinful nature and sinful flesh and we wanna be selfish and we wanna live for ourselves. And there's a lot of things that God's word says, no, 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 no. you need to think differently about these things, Right, God's word speaks into how we forgive. God's word speaks into how we love our enemies. It's like, wait, I've got to love my enemies and bless those who curse me? It would be way easier to curse my enemies and bless those who bless me, right? That's how we want the world to operate. But the Bible says, no, 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 that's not how Jesus lived. That's not how we're called to operate. So here's a simple way that I could say it. Listen, if your relationship with Jesus Christ is never calling you to say no, to something that in your flesh you'd wanna say yes to, or to say yes to something in your flesh that you'd want to say no to, you're probably not actually following Jesus, you're just following what you wanna do, right? Following God, holding high his word is saying, even in the things that I'm not good at or that I don't wanna do, I'm going to submit to you because I believe that your words are true and you're the authority, not me. Practically living in faith says, Jesus, I love you and I trust you and I'm going to honor you even when it's difficult. Can you say that that's true of your life? And here's the third reason we hold high. God's word is the ultimate authority is because our life and joy depend on it. Our life and joy depend on it. Look at how Jesus ends this saying in John 15 verse 11. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He's saying, the reason I'm telling you to keep my commandments and abide in my love, it's not because I wanna rob you of anything or take anything from you. I want you to experience the joy that I have and I want your joy to be full and complete. 
that when we follow God's word, here's what we're saying. We're saying that we trust that the author of life, the one who's created us, knows the way for us to have the fullest life and joy. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. That Jesus is not a dictator looking to control us or to rob us of anything, but he's saying, listen, that when we choose selfishness and when we choose sin and when we choose to do life on our own, that is what robs us of the joy that I want you to have. And when you follow me, you experience the reason you were created, and that is where joy and life and hope are at its full potential. I love Psalm 19, 7 through 9. It says this. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Okay, here's what I love about this passage. Look at the promises that following the law of the Lord will will bring to us. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Right, how many of you are like, man, that would feel good, huh? Right, am I, am I by myself there? Come on. Right, like, yeah, I'd like my soul to be revived. I'd take that. Making wise the simple. Hey, I don't know a ton, but I know that the way to joy in life is following the Lord. And it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That my heart can rejoice, that my eyes can be enlightened and I can endure forever. These are promises that God gives us because he loves us and he wants what's best. The question that will determine the trajectory of your life is who gets to call the shots? Are you gonna be the one that ultimately determines what's best for you and what's right? And are you going to be the highest authority in your life? Or are you gonna humbly submit yourself to your creator, to God's word? Check out this video. So I can remember walking into harvest, um, just in a rough spot. I didn't grow up going to church. I didn't know scripture. Uh, I haven't heard the gospel. Um, I was recently out of the military, out of a rough deployment, and I was beaten down. I was broken. Um, My marriage was tanking. I was feeling distant from my kids, um, from my family. My work life was suffering, and um, we came in here to, to harvest, and I heard God's word for the first time. And like scripture says that I found your words and I ate them. And I just remember something happening like in my soul. And it was just like uh, this fire was lit and there was just an interest and there was just a a hunger to to dive in and explore and investigate and, and just really search for what God wanted for me because I was trying to be my own authority. I was trying to make my own way. I was trying to do my own thing and it was exhausting. So as I'm working through trying to figure out what what my plan is and what direction I wanted to go in life, the Lord was just opening these doors. And you know, I've heard bloom where you're planted. I've heard that blessings follow obedience. And my wife and I, we looked at, okay, how do we serve in the church? What does God's word say about that? And then um, being obedient to those steps. And then it was just clear like, go to Bible school. So then I go to Bible college and I'm continuing to learn about God's word and it's continuing to ignite this fire in me. And and God's word is the one thing that brought me from a place of being dead to being alive in Christ and then wanting to um, pursue ministry. Completely just changed 
me um, and changed my wife and our kids. And we're seeing the fruit of just being obedient uh, to what God's word calls us to do. One of the uh, things I love about Pastor Nate's testimony is that's literally the same testimony of dozens and dozens of people who we've had the privilege of ministering to. And one of the things I'm most grateful for about this church is there are so many people that have walked in and said, listen, my life was falling apart. It was a disaster. We've always wanted this church to be messy ministry and to be a place where it's okay to not be okay. And just the people that our soul care people work with who said, listen, everything was falling apart, but when we submitted our lives to God's word, guess what? We experienced those promises of God. Our hearts got revived, our our eyes were opened, our hearts began to rejoice, our lives started to change. There is one source and one power to change the trajectory of our lives, and it is God's word through the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be a church that holds high. And then here's the third one. We need to be a church that loves well because we are representatives. We love well because we are representatives. We want to be a church that is committed to loving one another and a church that is a light in our world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So why do we love well? Well, the first reason is we were created for community. We were created for the community. The Bible says that we were created in God's image. All right, so what does that mean? Think about our creator. If we were created in the image of God, that means we in some ways look like our creator. Well, if you think about God himself, God himself lives in eternal and continual relationship with himself. There's the Father, there's the Son, there's the Holy Spirit. God himself is three in one in a loving, serving, submitting relationship. God in his very nature is relational. So to be in God's image means that we must be created to be relational with one another. Right, The first time in Genesis 1 where God said his creation wasn't good is when man was alone. And he says, no, 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 he needs a helper. And man was designed to live in community. Think about Jesus when he was on earth, right? If there was anyone who was strong enough to do it by himself, it was Jesus Christ. He was perfect. He was sinless. But what did Jesus do? He surrounded himself with 12 other dudes and they lived together and they spent life together and they cared for one another and they prayed for one another and Jesus corrected them when they were being idiots and they supported Jesus and they helped Jesus and they lived in community. And if Jesus chose community, then to follow Jesus means that we need to choose community. The second reason we love well is because we grow in community. We grow in community. Galatians 5, through 26 says this, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing, there is no law. And the one who belongs to Christ Jesus has crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit and let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Okay, so here's what's amazing about this passage. Look at the fruit of the Spirit there. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That these are gifts that are given to us by God's Spirit that he grows in us as we follow Jesus. Well, aren't those primarily to do with how we interact with one another? Love, 
patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, all of that, it's not towards ourselves, but it's how we love and interact with one another. So if we isolate ourselves from one another, we're never going to grow in those things because those are gifts that were given to us so that we could bless others. That is the purpose. If I had time, I would read for you 1 Corinthians 12, and that entire chapter talks about how God views us. And he doesn't just view us as individuals, but it says he views us as one body. And he says it's one body with many members. And some of us are eyes, some of us are arms, some of us are earlobes and belly buttons, you know, whatever part you want to assign to yourself, like that's fine. But it's like, listen, if part of the body isn't healthy, the whole body's not healthy. So we're to care for each other and we're to love one another and we're to build one another up and we're to be committed to one another. And here's how we say it at Harvest is, listen, um, that your faith is ultimately personal. That, that we as followers of Jesus, we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And here's what that means. That means that when we stand before God, we can't draft off of someone else's relationship with Christ. When I stand before the Lord, it's going to be, hey, Cal, did you love me? Did you put your faith in me? Did you follow me? And in that moment, I can't draft off of my parents' faith or off another pastor's faith or off my wife's faith or my church's faith. That It's an individual, personal relationship. And while our relationship with Christ is personal, look here, it was never meant to be private. But we live in an individualistic relativistic society that says, no, no, I want my faith to be my faith and I don't want anyone to speak into it and leave me alone. Well, that's not what the Bible says that our faith is supposed to be, that we're called to a family, even with the weird cousins and goofy smelling siblings and all of that stuff. Like we're not a perfect people yet, but we will be one day. And in the process, we're called to build one another up and point each other to the author and perfecter of our faith. But can I just say it this simply? You will not grow in your relationship with Christ in isolation. Just you and your Bible on your own isn't enough. You've been called to God's family to love and live out your faith in community. And here's the third reason we seek to love well is because we represent God to others in community. That part of the way that we are a light for the gospel is how we love one another. John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus says this. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, look at this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus is saying that the world is watching how we love one another. And when we commit ourselves to one another, we're actually showing what it means to follow Jesus to those in our life who don't know him. That unsaved coworkers or unsaved family, when we talk about small group and they're like, wait, you do what? You go to a stranger's house and you have dessert together and you pray together and you read the Bible and talk about each other's life. That's crazy. And you're like, no, no, no. we love our family and we care for one another. And even though I don't know them super well, it's a joy to pursue them in relationship because we're part of the family of God. That, 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 that is a um, aroma of the gospel to a dark and dying world. Like, listen, if I know anything about our world, it's this, that people want to be loved they want to have community, and they want to have hope. And that is something that we can model to our world in how we love one another. Okay, so the philosophy of our church is very, very simple. We gather together, 
We lift up the name of Jesus Christ in worship. We hold high God's word as the ultimate authority. And then we leave this place to love one another well, and then also to be a light in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and in our community. That's what following Jesus is all about. That's what it's always meant to be a follower of Jesus. And the way we love one another well at Harvest is we do it primarily through small groups, through groups of people who gather together throughout the week to love and pray and care for one another. Another way that we love one another well is through our soul care ministry. And this is a ministry that we have people dedicated to that when there's a marriage crisis or if there's depression or if there's substance abuse issues that they come in and we open up God's word with them and we pray with them and we help walk through difficult seasons with them. And then finally is, is we're called to live as representatives. That the goal is not just for us to be in here hanging out with each other all the time, but that we build each other up here so that we might go out and be who God has called us to be as teachers and as doctors and as lawyers and as students, that we would represent Jesus well, be a light to our community. Check out this video. Dawn and I had, had been in just a really difficult season in our marriage. You know, we, we come through counseling and we get plugged into a small group. And I remember like walking into that small group with my wife and, and seeing just a room full of people we didn't know. People like I wouldn't have chosen to, to be in a group with and they certainly wouldn't have chosen me. But up until, you know, the first 36 years of my life, Marty had always been on the throne and I was surrounded myself with people who, who wanted to do what I wanted to do and, 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 and would lift me up and encourage me. Um, and, and to, to be in a spot where I could be really transparent and share my shortcomings, my sin, my difficulties in life, my, my, my um, incorrect way of thinking and living, um, who, who would meet me there and, and just love me in a way where, where they took time to pray for me and encourage me and, and just listen to me um, share where my heart was at. I, I'd never had that kind of relationship. I needed it because at that time I was um, just just coming to my faith. Um, I was a new believer and really didn't know what that life looked like. It really took time and, and kind of chose to love me and, 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 and model for me what it looked like to love people well. So becoming a small group leader and getting to, to model that, I kind of been poured into for a season and now I was getting the opportunity to pour out what a blessing that was for me and then eventually to have a calling on my life um, to full-time ministry where I get to kind of oversee and it has become my full-time job. To, to oversee the small group ministry at Harvest um, has just been a tremendous blessing, something that I'm so passionate about and care so much about, um, where, where it's really my job just to help people um, find that community where they can love, um, love each other well and just model what it looks like for, um, uh, to model the, the love of Christ for, for each other in, in community. So um, it's just been a, a tremendous blessing, a huge impact on my life. Lift up, hold high, love well. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Do you think you can all remember that? Like if I test you on that in a week or two, will you have it? How about you repeat it after me? Lift up, hold high, love well. That's what we want to be at. And listen, that's a worthwhile thing to give our lives to. Amen? Amen. Well, here's what I would love you to do. If you could just bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment. Um, I want to close this morning by just taking a moment and maybe taking some inventory of our hearts right now. And what I love about this statement is, is it's not just who we're called to be as a church, but ultimately it's who we're called to be as followers of Jesus. 
So maybe right now is a good moment. This is the first time we've gathered together in 2020. Maybe we can ask ourselves right now the question, um, how's your worship? Are you lifting up the name of Jesus in worship? Is that something that you're excited to do, that you're passionate about? Or are you just in a season where you're going through the motions a little bit and it's gone a little bit stale? And maybe this next song we sing right now is that first step of faith to say, no, 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 I want this to be a core and central thing in my life. How are you doing at lifting up the name of Jesus in worship? How about holding high? God's word is our ultimate authority. Are there some areas in your life that you're pushing up against that? That where God's calling you to turn right, you've been running left. And are there some things right now that in this moment we can confess to the Lord that he's here, that his presence is with us, that he's calling us to come back to him? where we would say, God, I, I wanna change some things, I need to confess some things, and I wanna surrender every area of my life to you. What are those things in your life that God's spirit might be impressing on your heart right now? Don't harden your heart to that, but the fact that God's bringing that to your mind is proof that he loves you and wants you to have joy in those areas. And then, um, how are you loving well? Are you committed to loving others well or, or has life kind of become all about you in this season? Are you in small group? Are you in community? Are you representing Jesus well in how you love the family of God? And maybe who are some people in your life that God might be putting on your heart to pursue this year in, in gospel relationships? What would it look like for you to shine brightly in your school or in your workplace or in your family? These are good things to wrestle with. Let's pray. Generally, Father God, you're so good and you're so faithful and you're so kind. And um, God, I'm just thankful for all that you've done in this church and in this ministry. And it's just been such a joy to be a part of. And God, we uh, don't believe that you're done, but we believe that this next decade, um, God, we just wanna see more of your name lifted high, of you working powerfully in lives of people. God, that's all we care about. Um, there's nothing special about us. There's nothing special about the philosophy of this church, God. We just wanna see you come and we wanna see you move and we wanna be committed to building our lives around you and your name and your power and the message that you are the one who saves and you're the one who gives life. May we do that effectively. Would you help us? We love you. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.